All right. Awesome. Awesome day thus far. So, I'm going to uh, have Aaliyah Thunder join me at this time. This is the year of 52 stories. Every week in 2022, a different Mill Church attender is sharing a story of God's faithfulness. And today is Aaliyah's day. Will you give her a warm Mill Church welcome? Thank you, guys. This is way easier than I had a kid in the first service and juggling him. This is a lot easier. So the theme of this story, of my story, is believing what the enemy says about me or believing what God says about me. So keep that in mind the whole time. I grew up in a Christian household, and I grew up in the church. I was surrounded by truth, but I was also surrounded by lies. While I have always held on to my faith, I have believed a lot of lies in my life. I believed lies like I wasn't good enough, I wasn't smart enough, I wasn't talented enough, I wasn't lovable enough or at all. I thought I was crazy. Sometimes I still believe lies that I'm not worthy to share my testimony in front of a church just because I'm a woman. These lies started me down a path of depression and anxiety in my teenage years. That depression slowly worsened in my 20s. I was a young mother to three children, a wife, and a missionary living in Africa, trying to share Jesus and trying to find a reason worth living for. Before I go any further in my story, I want to make it clear that I don't want to place blame on anyone. For that reason, I will not go into deep details and I'll stay vague. I do, however, want help from the church in continuing to pray for healing and wholeness for both of us. Two years ago, my husband and I came back from Africa, and the reason we cited to those on our prayer letters was family reasons or something like that. We were stressed for more reasons than I can count, and I was broken because of ongoing infidelity in my marriage. We took an evacuation flight out of Niger, West Africa at the beginning of the pandemic, but even scarier, scarier than the unknown of the pandemic for me was that I feared our marriage would not last. A few months after we returned, I worked with my doctor and counselor to go on depression medication, and my husband tried marriage counseling, or tried counseling for a couple of months. We also did a few sessions of marriage counseling together. Although I believe my husband earnestly thought our problems were over, I continued to battle the years of hurt and pain. I felt stuck, and I lacked the confidence to advocate for myself or our marriage, and to say that we had not resolved what we needed to. Eventually, I was able to say that I still needed change, that I also needed no more lies and no more betrayal of trust. Unfortunately, what he struggled with is not just something that goes away by wishful thinking. It takes months and more often years of actively seeking professional help, seeking the grace of God, and seeking healing to stop those types of addictions. Instead of seeking that change, he continued to seek the addiction. Late last summer, I again reached a point of deep depression. I didn't know what to believe about myself anymore. I went to my therapist and I said, I think I might be bipolar, I think I'm going crazy. She said words then that changed everything for me. She said, Aaliyah, you're not crazy, you're hurting. I started to realize that the reasons for a lot of the unhealthy lies I believed about myself were because they were told to me often in an unhealthy relationship. Although I wish our story had not ended this way, I'm sad to say that it was the end of our story. 
the hurt became too great for me, and I left. After change didn't happen, after years of heartbreak and betrayal of trust, and being in deep depression because of it, I overcame, I overcame the guilt I felt over the thoughts of my decision, and I decided to end the marriage that had already ended. I do not advocate for broken relationships because God is clear that his heart is broken by brokenness. But ultimately, I felt God give me the freedom to seek emotional safety. <laughs> day by day, my depression has lifted. There are still days when the hurt is so great that I cry and scream to God. I'm still learning how to have peace. The medication and some key verses in God's word have helped me think clearly again through the fog that is depression. David's words in Psalms have helped me not feel, not feel so alone. When he said, darkness is my closest friend. Yes, you heard it right. He said, darkness is my closest friend. In Psalm 88, I really felt that. And I also knew that the depression wouldn't last forever. <laughs> Sorry. I have surrounded myself with a community of Jesus-loving friends who encouraged me and helped me make an action plan when I need it, and I have leaned heavily into God's word. After my separation, I finally let go of the anger I felt towards God because I had, been, because I, because I had always been told by people what to think and feel in order to be a good Christian. When I separated Satan's lies from God's truth, I could let go of the anger, and I wanted to know God again. While I had read all of these verses in the Bible before, God spoke to me through them in a new way. He began to heal me by allowing me to read in the Bible about people with the same struggles of depression and by seeing people who wrestled with the exact same questions. Men like Job and David and Jacob all had the same questions. The verses I read felt like a story of my life, like this verse. Your favor, O Lord, made me as secure as a mountain. Then you turned away from me, and I was shattered. When I was finally in a place of safety, I could see that God had been there all along, even when I didn't feel him. I have had years of crying out to God in the shower and feeling a great hurt that overwhelmed me. And in the Psalms, I found that I am understood and I am loved. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. I was regaining hope, and then I saw another verse that made me realize, realize I needed only Jesus instead of myself or a man or a marriage to be my Savior. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have a right relationship with God. As I read these verses, I was broken and hopeless and convicted. My only hope of a pure heart was the goodness and love of Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. I was angry. While anger can be healing, it's not necessarily a bad emotion. I knew that it was time to let my anger go so I could continue healing. While I have found that we can worship even in anger and sadness and depression, I came to a place where I knew I needed to start moving past those so that I could live my life fully again. Instead of believing the lies that a legalistic church and marriage told me, instead of believing the biggest lie, that I'm not worthy of faithfulness in marriage, and that I was unlovable, instead of believing all these lies about myself, I can point to a God who's perfect, 
perfect love breaks through the lies of Satan and embraces me. While my story does not have the happy ending I wanted for years, the reconciliation of our marriage, it does have a happy ending I did not expect. Through it, I have seen God's ongoing faithfulness and his relentless love, even when I did not feel him in my seasons of deepest pain. Without my story, I would not know him as closely as I do. In Psalm 73, it says, Then I realized that my heart was bitter, and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant, yet I still belong to you, and you hold my right hand. This is my story, and Jesus is the hero of it. Well, I want to thank you, Aaliyah, for having the courage to tell your story. And I also want to say tangentially that uh, one of the themes of Aaliyah's story was mental health. And mental health is something that for years has probably gone under-addressed from the platforms of churches in particular. It's uh, many cases been taboo for whatever reason, but I will tell you as someone who struggles with mental health myself in anxiety that this is the way I have come to look at it. If we have uh, problems walking and pain on the bottoms of our feet, we go to Dr. Scholl's. So if we have pain in our minds, we can be seen, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We continue to learn to give gratitude from our hearts for the Lord, but you can see a professional, you can get help. It's not every counselor needs a counselor. Just yesterday I was at my physician and every year I take a little test to see if anxiety is improving or getting worse. And we were talking through all of this and he says, you know, um, one thing I do and one thing that's been empirically proven for docs, because docs have high levels of suicide and so forth and so on, is every day at the end of the day, I say three positives to my spouse about the day. And that's actually been clinically proven to reduce anxiety among practitioners in my field. And so guess what I started to do with Shannon last night? We were on our way to get Pizza Hut, and I said, I'm so grateful that we had Pizza Hut tonight. This is just fabulous. And I told her two other positives, and it just, it helped. It was, it was great. So how many of you know I did not mention the weather that we're having this spring? This has been awful. That hasn't helped. But it's important to retrain your brain at times. And so don't, uh, don't let, um, you know, embarrassment or shame or anything get in the way. If you need to talk to somebody or you need to talk to your doctor, do that. Don't be, again, uh, reluctant in any way. So, all right. We're going to talk about the uh, Bible, (laughs) Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 through 19, if you want to turn there. While you're turning, let me just say a word about Daddy Date Night. We had father figures and daughters here Friday evening, over 250 of them combined in this building. It was a remarkable night. If you were here with your daughter or you are a daughter who was here, raise your hand. Cool. So the first service we had even more. Um, Let me just say it was a remarkable evening. We were probably at capacity for this uh, facility. We flipped two breakers, and we had three drains back up. It was wild. 
um, this morning, when I got out of my car, I looked down and there was a half-eaten strawberry on the uh, parking lot laying there on the asphalt. And it was just like such a symbol of the crazy night that we experienced. And I was sharing this in the first service, and Eric Wolf came up to me and said, I'm so glad you found Harper's half-eaten strawberry. He said, we were on the way home. I was worried that it was in between the pleats of her dress and scared it was going to stain something. And I looked all over the floorboard and just reassured to know that you found it. And I said, well, I'm glad I could give you some pastoral care this morning and found your daughter's strawberry. So it was just a blast. Can we thank our volunteers and Emily, our director of children's, who helped pull that off? Cool. All right, everybody say mysticism. That's what we're going to talk about today. Last week was legalism, this week's mysticism, Colossians 2, 18 through 19. Let no one disqualify you. This is where someone is saying you're not quite spiritual enough. You're not as spiritual as me. Look at all the great experiences with God I've had. Clearly, you're lacking something. Okay, If you've ever had somebody say something like that to you, um, that's a problem. If people are saying you haven't you haven't experienced the supernatural enough, the paranormal, these uber crazy spiritual experiences, you're not as spiritual as we are. These are the people who have uh, always looking for spiritual butterflies. Oh, the wind shifted. Now this is what the spirit's saying. Oh, the wind shifted again. Now this is what the spirit's saying. I'm following the spirit. Paul says, let no one disqualify you. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that Emily Stranitsky, who is a speech therapist by her training, licensed speech therapist, that when she got an invitation to join the church staff as a children's director, that she didn't say, I don't know. I feel disqualified for that role. I mean, after all, there are people who are far more spiritual than me. She said, God, I'm open to what you're calling me to next. And she has served with, I mean, she's thrived in this role. So let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, oh boy, and going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, by a mind that's always looking for sensuous things, things related to the senses, what we can see, what we can hear, what we can touch, what we can smell, and not holding fast to the head, capital H, that's referring to Jesus, not keeping focus on Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So Paul is saying this morning to us through the word that these folks that are into the worship of angels and are all about, I'm not saying you can't have visions and dreams. The prophet Joel said your young men will uh, dream dreams, your old men will see visions or vice versa. I may not have said that in the right order. But that, that's a real thing that happens to faith-filled people of all ages. What I'm saying is if there is a preoccupation that's unhealthy and off-balance, 
we can be in trouble. We can be in trouble if we pursue the hand of God before we pursue the face of God. We can be in trouble if we pursue what it is that God will do, the lightning and the thunder and the flashes, rather than just pursuing God himself. Even when we get to heaven, heaven's not the reward. You know that, right? I mean, it's going to be remarkable. Streets of gold, bling, bling, uh, no pain, feasting, the finest wine there is. None of that's going to be the highlight of heaven. Of course, the highlight of heaven is God himself. We're going to be with God. So this is somebody that says, hey, you should really get into the worship of angels and and dream a lot and have visions a lot and maybe even throw in, sprinkle in some sci-fi or some aliens or something like that. These are those who say, I don't need the Bible much because God speaks directly to me, telling me, I I know that God does this, so don't write me off. But I'm saying somebody that out of arrogance, or Paul uses the words puffed up, says, God tells me things that he doesn't tell anybody else. See, these are those who have an out-of-scope desire for near-death experiences and the like. Okay? I don't know you why you would want near-death experiences because that would mean that you're near death, right? But some people are desirous of these things. And what the Apostle Paul says is we need to be very careful that our faith doesn't become mindless. Now, I say this in the context of us being an Assemblies of God church, which is a Pentecostal church, which believes that the miracles are for today, which believes in the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit. All of the gifts are still available today. None of them have ceased. We believe that God still gets people out of binds, and miraculously so when we ask him binds that we couldn't get out of ourselves. But if we're not also transforming or renewing our minds, if we're not thinking critically about what's happening in culture, and even using the gift of things like interpretive data that's available to us, even very good things, very spiritual things, can become God things, little g, God or idols, if we let them. Turn to your neighbor and say this, even a good thing can become a God thing. Isn't it sad that pursuits of Jesus can unintentionally become carnal when we lay aside our ability to think and process and use our heads? But this can happen if you chase the hand of God and not the face of God. Those who are always chasing the spiritual experiences instead of the classic, proven spiritual disciplines like Bible reading where God has already and clearly revealed himself and prayer, they can absolutely get off track. So if I'm seeking spiritual experiences, I'm yearning the otherworldly. I'm saying, give me a vision, give me an angel, give me a word, give me something, anything supernatural, anything paranormal, anything bigger, better, bolder than 
Bible reading and prayer? God? And in my personal experience, many of these people are sincere. And they want the Lord. They want to draw close to the Lord. Is wanting to draw close to Jesus in and of itself, is there anything wrong with that? Of course there's there's not. Wanting to keep people from harm, is there anything wrong with that at face value? No, of course not. But the problem is that these folks build up this spiritual experience ladder is the metaphor I'll use. And they want to climb the rungs. And the problem is, if you're in these circles, the problem can become that once you get to the top, you realize the ladder wasn't leading you to Jesus. It was taking you somewhere else. And of course, people are invited to join the ladder climbing. And you know what? Sometimes the devil will even throw in a nugget or a reward on the next rung because, after all, he wants you on a ladder that doesn't climb toward Jesus. There are counterfeit miracles. There are counterfeit wonders. So he thinks, you want a vision? Sure. You want an angel? Sure. I'll play dress up. I'll present myself as an angel of light. Satan and his demons are willing to fake, forge some semblance of the kingdom to keep people engaged with the distraction of spirituality in general. And of course, this can lead to danger. So Paul says, when someone looks down on you and says, you're not new age enough, or you're not experiencing higher and higher streams of consciousness, that's enough. What, you think Jesus is enough? Watch out. Don't let yourself feel inferior. Don't let yourself feel judged. And there's even version of, of this in the church, by the way. I hope not this church, um, but I have heard things like this. You can't get into heaven unless you speak in tongues. I heard that said at a concert at one point. And there's belittling and there's condescension. As if there was like the varsity Christian and then the JV Christian. Some people say the same thing. If you don't tithe, if you don't go on a missions trip, if you've never heard an audible voice of God, if, if you don't figure out who your guardian angel is. And sadly, and here's the one I've heard the most in our tradition, which breaks my heart. If you don't get healed, well, you must lack faith. Clearly, it's your issue. As if the Apostle Paul didn't have a thorn in his flesh that wouldn't go away. As if there weren't those that Jesus passed by and and chose not to respond to. Here's what your pastor would like to communicate this morning. If you're on Team Jesus, there is no JV. 
you are in no way less than. You have every bit of access to the revelation of God himself, to the library of books that is the Bible, as the sage Christian of 50 years. A pastor, don't you recall Jacob's ladder? Don't you remember that story? Don't you remember when Jacob wrestled the angel? That's what I want to do, pastor. I want to wrestle an angel. I would just say, yes, I do. But Jacob didn't build the ladder up to God. The ladder came out of heaven, and the angel, who many believe was Jesus Christ in Genesis 28, descended down. All of this was foreshadowing of the Jesus who would come and leave his perfect home in heaven and descend to earth as a man and become like us and die for us. We are not close to God because we ascend some spiritual ladder. We are not close to God because we climb toward him. We are close to God because he descended to us. That is the gospel. Jesus came down. So the healing is with him. The miracles are with him. The revelation is with him. Notice what they all have in common. They're connected to Jesus. So any spirituality, Paul says, that isn't connected to Jesus at its head, no matter what Oprah says, is a fake, is a counterfeit. So mysticism seeks signs and wonders and hopes that Jesus might be there. Christianity seeks Jesus and hopes that signs and wonders are there. Let's finish out the chapter. Chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world... Do you submit to regulations? Paul says, why are you doing these dumb religious rules again? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You can almost hear him say, blah, 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 blah. Referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and the severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What's he saying? He's hinting here again at what we talked about last week, which is legalism. We said that God's rules plus our rules equals legalism. That's the simple formula. Anytime we take what God has said and we tack on to it what we believe ought to happen, it equals legalism. That's not a good thing. Let's just take what God says. So Paul's saying here, do not, rules like don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, religious leaders love to make those rules. They're human rules. They're not God's rules. These are things we make up. This is not what God reveals. These things even appear to be wise. And by the way, they change with generations. My dad, when he was young, he couldn't play billiards, pool, couldn't go to the pool hall, couldn't play cards, playing cards, couldn't go to the movie theaters. 
Guess what it was when I was young? I couldn't have a tattoo. My dad said, it's a permanent reminder of temporary stupidity. That's what he told me. No tattoos in my house. And, of course, this was cloaked in, I'd say this if he were sitting here, it's cloaked in religiosity. We're above that. We're more spiritual than that. Until you get to Revelation, you read Jesus is coming back on a white horse, King of Kings and Lord of Lords tattooed on his thigh. I don't know about you. We talked a lot about the body when I was a kid. Don't put a tattoo on the body. That's the temple. That's where God lives. But we forgot to mention smoking. I'm not saying... You're evil if you smoke. I'm saying we were selective in what we taught and what we didn't teach. In fact, we put ashtrays outside the sanctuary where people could smoke and then walk right in. The sanctuary. Then what did we do? Did we ever mention overeating? Absolutely not. Why? Because the pastor was fat. No, I'm just kidding. That's not, that's not why we mentioned that. But we didn't mention those things because that's the average American struggle. Right? So we were very selective. Let's demonize these people. Let's take it easier on these people. So I don't know about you. I think tattoos are so cool. The only reason I don't have a tattoo is that I haven't thought about something cool enough to put on my body yet. And I've thought a lot about it. I really have. One day I'm going to have at least a three-quarter sleeve like my brother Matt from Colby. Okay? He's, he's awesome in the summertime. Just looks great. But you know why I haven't done it today? Because I gotta deal with the overeating thing first. I don't want that thing to expand in six months. You know what I'm saying? That's not a good look. Maybe some of you would even prefer the rules. Cause you because you think it makes your faith cleaner, easier to follow. So you like painting by numbers kits. You like assembling IKEA furniture. You like the steps. There are a few steps I'd say they're very healthy. You can get involved in the local church. You can read the Bible. You can pray. You know, these are all great little steps, but in general, that's a pretty small paint by numbers kit. That's a short list of numbers. That's a short list of steps in assembling furniture. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying... There are some things you can do, but if if I would admit it, I don't really have a lot of steps for you if you're a rule follower to love Jesus. Why is that? Because relationship is more complicated than that. Relationship is also more glorious and more beautiful than following rules. How many of you are so glad Jesus didn't hand us a manual and leave. He promised to be with us until the end of the age. That means when you're in an accident on the highway, he's with you. When you're going through despair, he's with you. When you lose a loved one, he's with you. He didn't say refer to page 64. I love that about Jesus. I love that he's everywhere. There's not, I could make my bed in hell, and Jesus would be there with me. The Bible is about relationship. Another part of this is Christianity has been 
absolutely abused by many of the people that made the rules. It's like Congress, isn't it? We make the rules, but we don't follow the rules. And then there's this element of, that Paul said directly, rules are of little use in actually containing the flesh. That is to say, if your heart is evil, it's going to find a way to sin despite the rules that are set up. It's not until you have a change of heart that you're able to even serve or obey God. Yearnings, appetites, pleasures, desires, can they or can they get us into trouble? Yes, they can. So we have a prohibition on alcohol. How did that go for us? Not so great. Try that in Wisconsin. Oh, boy. Mutiny. So we have people that, that faithful people, faithful people, they, they overindulge at some point in their life and their reaction is to jump way over here and tell everybody else they also have to live over here with them. So we have people who say, I struggle with alcohol, so I will never take real wine communion, and you can't either. We have those that say, I've had enough drugs, I can't even as much as drink coffee, and you shouldn't either. It's addictive. We have those that say, Jesus heals, and you should never take ibuprofen because he's our healer. We have those that say sex is bad, and it's also bad, including in healthy marriages. It's just bad. The attitude is, the less I take, take gluttony, for example, the less I eat, the more holier I am. The more holy I am. The less I drink, the holier I am. The less I enjoy, the holier I am. This is the worst person to hang out with. The less I laugh, the holier I am. You ever meet a person like that? It's like, dude, God has to have a sense of humor. You are so boring. This cannot be godly. The thought is, if you really love God, you ought not sleep in a comfortable bed. You ought not live in a nice home. You ought not wear name brand clothes. And we think God matures us through suffering, which is true, but he also matures us through celebration and vitality and health. When I'm healthy, there's stuff to learn in Jesus. When I'm sick, there's stuff to learn in Jesus. When things are going great, there's stuff to learn in Jesus. When things are going pitiful, there's stuff to learn in Jesus. When there's an overabundance in blessing, there's stuff to learn in Jesus. When there's real lack and need and want, there's stuff to learn in Jesus. That's why Paul says, I have learned the secret of being content, whether I have much or whether I have little. Poverty, rather prosperity theology. Don't subscribe to it. 
The more we have, the closer to God we are. Poverty theology. Don't subscribe to that either. The less we have, the closer to God we are. Both can become idols. Here's what we're going to do next. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to pray for you. We don't always have, when we're just moving through verse by verse, uh, three points and a conclusion. Um, So today I'm not going to conclude anything. I'm just going to stop and we'll show up next Sunday and we'll start right where we left off. But I do want to pray for you. I want to pray for anybody in the room who may have lived part or all of your life with a legalistic religion. How boring and lifeless and painful that must have been. Wasn't based on relationship with Jesus relationship with other people. I'm going to pray for any mystics in the room who are searching, grasping for something supernatural and missing Christ and his beauty in the process. I'm going to pray for the ascetic this morning who would say, I need to do avoid everything, every temptation, every and, and at such an extreme that you've taken yourself out of the world and out of any context of networking to share the love of Jesus with people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul today. We thank you that he puts things in proper perspective. We thank you that he's, in a very thoughtful way, in an intelligent way, dismantling processes that we subscribe to. He's causing us to think in addition to feeling. Lord, I pray that we would glorify you with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Lord, let us operate with high levels of excellence in every category. Change us, Lord. Mold us into your image. In Jesus' name, amen.